Fort Christian Church. How are all of you? It's great to see you. My name is Ben Cantler. I am the student pastor here at Fort Christian Church. Uh, also kind of filling in and overseeing children's ministry right now. Filling in for Brian this Sunday because he's on vacation, which he is well-deserved. So I'm your lead pastor this morning. Um, Nick said that he didn't have breakfast. He might not be feeling well, so I might do worship to lead you guys out of here later today, wherever I can fill in, you know what I mean? Um, anyway, good morning, everybody. Uh, we are going to be picking up from last week in the book of James. Uh, this series is called Life According to Jim, which to me sounds a little too much like you know, like a good old-fashioned 80s sitcom where, you know, Jim goes through many hilarious mishaps in life and tries to share with you how to avoid them. Uh, but in reality, minus the funny mishaps, that is a lot of what the book of James is. Um, it's not that far from the truth. I've had a lot of people tell me that this is their favorite book of the Bible, and it's certainly one of my favorites. Whenever a new believer comes to Christ and they're looking for a place to dig into scripture, uh, the Christian friends will always have recommendations for where they should begin, right? Start in Genesis, begin at the beginning. That's a great suggestion. Uh, start with Matthew, begin with the birth of Jesus. Really good suggestion as well. Uh, start with Leviticus, just because I want to see the look on your face. You know, that's a really good suggestion as well. Um, I usually recommend to someone who's seeking Jesus to read the book of John. I think that's a great place to start. But once they've found Jesus, once they've established that relationship, once they've given their life over to Jesus, um, I think they should devour the book of James. Uh, because there's just so much wisdom in the book of James. James wrote this book uh, decades after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And for those of you that are unaware, James was the half-brother of Jesus. They shared the same mother, Mary. And throughout Jesus' ministry here on earth, James was not a believer. Did you guys know that? Fun fact. James was not a believer in his own brother. It's hit on a few times in Scripture, and it wasn't until James saw his brother Jesus crucified then uh, we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 7, that Jesus appeared to him after he, re he was resurrected, that James became a believer. His own brother did not believe throughout Christ's entire ministry. But when he saw the resurrected king, someone that was dead, then suddenly come to have a conversation with him, obviously that could change a person's mind, Right? And it was then that he realized that not only was Jesus indeed Lord, but that everything that he had ever said and claimed about himself was true. So James went from a doubter to a believer. And when we read his letter, we're reading words from a man that is fully bought into the truth. And he's writing to a church that has been completely scattered by the Roman government. They're scared and they are in the midst of being persecuted so James is writing this to them in a very difficult season of their lives. Now you have the background. James is often called the New Testament book of wisdom because it's so chock full of practical knowledge. Some theologians call it the Proverbs of the New Testament, and that's not bad. 
Last week, Pastor Brian read from the first part of James 1 and how it teaches us to overcome trials and temptations in our lives, uh, trials and temptations of many kinds. And that really cues up everything that we're going to be talking about today. Uh, So if you're here and you haven't seen that sermon, or if you're watching from home and you haven't gotten to see that yet, just look it up on the website. Uh, It's great. It's, uh, It's full of everything that continues what we're doing for the rest of this sermon series, but it cues it up so beautifully. And one of the things that Brian said that is absolutely accurate is, James is right to the point. When James speaks, he gets right to the point. And it's true. Therefore, so will this message be right to the point. Usually humor just kind of comes naturally to me, uh, but I'm going to try my best to just get right to the point of the heart of what we're speaking about. The book of James has 108 verses in it. That is not a lot. You could read that before you go to bed. That's a quick read over breakfast, something along those lines. 108 verses. Half of that, 54 of them in the book of James are commands. Commands for how we should be living. Exactly half of the book. And James being right to the point, these are not suggestions. He's not suggesting. He doesn't care what your opinion on the matter is. He doesn't want to hear excuses. He really sums up his mission in the very first verse of his letter. Right off the bat, this letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He may as well just be saying, greetings, I'm James, Jesus is Lord, now listen up. Right to the point. So this morning, I'm going to follow in his lead and not pull any punches. This morning, we're going to learn why God gave us two ears and one mouth. So we'll kick things off in verse 19, a section of scripture that's titled listening and doing. And those two go together organically. James even heard his brother say this in Luke eleven twenty-eight 28, when he said, blessed are all who hear the word of God and put it into practice. Listen to the word and then do the word. Jesus taught this in Luke, and it was clearly rooted in James's heart after that. So James starts us off in verse 19, and I'm going to read everything that we'll cover today, and then we'll go down and, or we'll go back and break it down like verse by verse. So starting us off in verse 19, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all of the filth and evil in your lives. And humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. For it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word of God... And don't obey. It is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself, and your religion is worthless. 
pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. It's a lot. And in that section of scripture, James references the word of God five times. He talks about the importance of this book five times. It's crucial. Psalm 119 says, my soul faints with longing for your salvation, but I have put my hope in your word. Psalm 119 is actually the longest uh, chapter in the Bible. Psalm 119. And you want to know what it talks about? The Bible. And what does it tell us? It says that our hope is in his word. Your hope is in his word. It is not in your job. It is not in your marriage. It's not in your savings account. It is not in the company that you keep. It is in his word. His word is critical. To you, to me, to all believers, to who we are as men and women of God. So let's break this down, if you don't mind. Verse 19, right off the bat. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. People detest this because of how blunt it is. But it's not a new concept. Throughout Proverbs, we're told that wise men listen and fools are quick to speak. But even something as simple as verse 19 can be taken incorrectly. So I want to show you a different translation real quick. Understand, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. The English Standard Version says, know this, my beloved brothers. Slight difference. Doesn't seem like that much. There are translations that don't say, dear brothers and sisters. But pointing this out is important. My beloved. Because everything that we do, it all starts with the love of God. Before God tells us what to do, God tells you who you are. You are his beloved. The Bible said God loves you like a husband should love his wife, like a father should love his kids. God loves you. That establishes your identity. And out of your identity comes your activity. Before God tells us what to do, he tells us who we are. We are beloved. So this is very important to establish up front because when this message is preached, there's always going to be people who hear it and say, hold on, so you're saying that my actions are more important than my faith. No, that is not what I'm saying. That will never be said up here at Fort Christian Church. I'm saying that what we're learning today, it all starts with the love of God. So when we hear what we should be doing, it means we're not working for the love of God. We already have that. We are working from the love of God. And James is keenly aware of how people act when they face tough times. Brian covered it last week, talking about facing trials and temptations with faith and with endurance. James wrote to the 12 tribes, 
Jewish believers in Christ who had been scattered abroad, all because of their faith in Christ. But in the midst of their persecution, in the midst of their struggles caused by the outside world, James was still very characteristically to the point when speaking to them. He was so much less concerned with the church being out in the world. He was much more concerned with the world being in the church. Does that make sense? He understood that they were facing trials. He heard what they were going through, but he's still afraid that they're missing the overall point. He was more concerned with how they were responding to what they were going through. And he's saying things like, don't adapt to this worldly way of thinking that goes on around you because doing what the world does, doing what those around you do, that ignores your new identity. That ignores who you are in Jesus. So he instructs these persecuted believers, just like he instructs you and I this morning, to just pause, take a breath, and slow down. Be patient, even when you don't want to be. Because when we're angry, we are the complete opposite of how we're instructed to be. And then we just make matters worse. And James has the knowledge here. The circumstances that we go through, the lows in our lives, the valleys that we endure, they create anger. And when we're angry, we're acting ways that we know we should not. We're saying things that we know are harmful and it puts us in conflict with the ones in our lives that truly care about us. Because hurt people hurt people. Our old pastor used to say that a lot. Hurt people are hurt people. Be quick to listen, be slow to speak, and be slow to get angry. I'm not sure if there's a more needed verse today than this. All you need to do is look at the news. All you need to do really is get on social media and understand that we live in an age of outrage. Wouldn't every single relationship be better if people started living this way? But people don't, and neither do we. It's just not on the forefront of our mind. This is an important message. This is one that I preached like two years ago. So you would think maybe it wouldn't come back up, but man, we need to be reminded of this on a regular basis. Right now we live in a world where everyone wants to be heard. Everyone is tweeting. Everyone is making Facebook statuses just because they have to get their point out there. Everyone wants to be right. And to be honest, a lot of us just talk too much. Be quick to listen, be slow to speak, be slow to get angry. When we do as James is instructing us, when we're really listening and not just waiting to talk, we actually see the other person's side. That's called perspective. I have been employed here for almost five years, which breaks the record as longest student pastor at Fort Christian Church. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll be honest, I don't come across a lot of people who want to volunteer for student ministry. 
Um, I love and I value all of the volunteers that do because I know that it takes a lot. It's a lot different than other places at the church that you volunteer. It's like a weekly commitment. Um, what you have to pour into students, it's a tremendous amount. And I'm so thankful for our volunteers because they, they pull a ton of weight, especially at a time like this when I'm running around and doing a lot. Um, but if you don't volunteer for student ministry, it might surprise you to learn that most middle schoolers and most high schoolers don't just run up to adults and say, hey, will you be my friend and taught me, teach me everything that you know about life? That does not happen. We have to earn the right to be heard by them. Earning the right to be heard is not always easy. Some people blow you off before you can even say hi to them. And what I mean by earning the right is gaining their respect, just like you would with a normal friend. Respect that leads to them trusting information in their life. Hearing what a person is saying and taking it to heart means having respect for that individual. We have to earn their respect, which means we have to be in their lives. We have to earn the right to be heard. And that takes a lot of time and it takes strong relationships. And most people just don't want to put in that kind of work because it's kind of the opposite of how we selfishly want to be. And the whole time James is saying, slow down, take things in, be quick to listen, stop expressing yourself so much. Because when we're jumping to respond, a lot of times that's reactionary. And a lot of times being reactionary is anger driven. And verse 20 tells us human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. I'm going to read that again because I've seen some of your Facebook statuses. Human anger <laughs> does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And he continues in verse 21. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. For it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says, otherwise you are only fooling yourselves. So what we're told to do, instead of reacting quickly or expressing our immediate feelings in verse 21, is to humbly receive the implanted word. And the word that's used there, this translation says humbly receive, but the Greek word that's used, which I can't pronounce and I'm not even going to try to, uh, is more close, closely translated to a form of acceptance, something along the lines of accepting a stranger into your home. And when I say that, I don't mean like a cousin that you haven't seen in a while or a neighbor that's like playing outside with one of your kids and they want to come into your house. I mean like a complete stranger that you have never seen before on the side of the road goes to your house and then you invite them in. That's not something I think any of us have ever done. I've certainly never done that. It seems counterproductive or counterintuitive when you're raising a family to invest, just invite a strange man into my home. Um, but that's what the Greek word means here. I don't know you. I don't understand you. But I, I need to learn more about you. 
And those two verses are great together for a reason. First, humbly accept the word that God has put into your heart. And then second, do what it says. Step one, know it or hear it. Step two, do it. Your mouth does not factor into the equation. Know the word, do the word. He says if you're just a hearer, if you're only listening to the word, then you're lying to yourself. Meaning don't just sit here on a Sunday morning and not live this thing out. There are people that believe that they're religious because they go to church, they hear the message and they read their Bible and they believe that that's all that's needed. When I first met my wife, my old mentor uh, talked to her. He did our wedding and she was very curious about what my upbringing was like. And she was like, what was Ben like when you first met him? And he was like, well, he grew up going to church, you know, so he read the Bible a lot. So he thought he was here, but he was really like way down here. And James is saying, yeah, you know the word but what have you actually done with what you've learned? Because you could be deceiving yourself. If you're living your life waiting for the pop quiz that lies at the end of this life, then you have not been studying for this quiz. Christianity is not just about waiting for the end. Most of the New Testament most of this book is about how we're supposed to live in this life. I emphasize that because for too long, people use the end as a key to sin management. Reading God's word should have us all walking away with what we're going to do, not just what we're going to stay away from. And what we will do, it's a lot more than just waiting. This is a huge theme in James's writing and people do not like hearing it and they'll express how much they don't like hearing it. But scripture is clear. Stop talking. Stop talking. Hear the word. Let it take root in your heart and then go and do what it says. Verse 23 says, for if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. The power in this book is that it's meant to be lived, not just learned. It's meant to be lived out, not just heard. You don't just receive it, you pay it forward. You're going to receive this word, let it change you, and then you are going to give it away. This is not a self-help book. But that's so often what happens in the church. We're hearing the word and we're just not doing it. Just like the walk to the mirror would be pointless if we see ourselves and then forget what we look like. Our faith is pointless if we're out in the world and then we're not doing something with it. Isaiah 6, 8 says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. 
And that's what our attitudes should be when it comes to the word. Here am I, send me, I am ready. Let me live out God's plan for my life. And I'm speaking from experience here. And I think every pastor here would probably say the same thing. Anyone who has ever heard my story or heard my testimony knows that my plan for my life did not work. And that most people's plans for their lives, they don't work. We all have that past because we were all broken before God. If we chose to step away from his plan, then we saw what that did to our lives. So let me live out God's plan for me. Verse 25 says, if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. We read his word, we hear his word. We're saved by our faith in him who overcame death itself, not by our actions. But we are blessed when we get to go out and love other people. We are blessed when we get to love people the way that Jesus loved us. And how did Jesus love us? He loved us when we didn't deserve it. The Bible gets referenced as a mirror a few times in scripture. And this is what, what's meant by that. I cannot tell you how many times in my life I have gone out for a full day, starting off like, you know, getting up in the morning, coming here to church, having meetings with people, doing youth group at night, dinner with small group, whatever it is, very, very full day, and then get back to my house at the end of the day, exhausted, look at myself for the first time since I've seen it myself this morning, and then notice that there's a nice, big, bright, green piece of spinach in between my teeth. And how long has that been there? I didn't even eat spinach today. <laughs> and there it is. Or I go home and I catch a glimpse of myself at the end of the day and I have a giant zit like right on the tip of my nose. I call it a witch zit because it's like all those Disney cartoons when the witch had that one bump <laughs> on the end of her nose. Any of those problems. You go home and you look at yourself in the mirror and you're like, oh, great. There was a booger hanging out of my nose the entire day. I went out with pants on backwards once. Didn't realize. They were sweatpants. It was an easy mistake. Anyone could have made it. And I go home and I catch this. And I see that this disaster that is me. And I just wonder myself, where were my real friends today? The ones that would surely see this and say, you look like an idiot. Maybe go check in the mirror real quick. Where were all of them? Because I could have sworn I hung out with them and they didn't say anything. Now think about that realization and I'm gonna assume that I'm not the only one that's been there because if I'm the only one that's been there, this is super embarrassing. But think about that realization that I've had, that you've probably had where you finally catch yourself in the mirror and then how you feel afterwards. And now think about this. And think about when this was introduced to you. And think about when you first really started reading this and studying this and learning about yourself. You didn't even know you had a problem until you read this. You didn't even know there was an issue until this pointed it out. 
and now you can't go back. This helped us see the issues in ourself or in ourselves. Verse 26 says, if you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. So there's two parts to verse 27. First, pure and genuine, genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress. All the time, I hear students, I hear adults ask, like, what does God want me to do in this situation? And you want to know what God wants you to do? What God sees as pure religion and action from religion it's not stuff where you believe that you're so educated in a topic, you can argue with somebody about it. It's not winning a debate about God and about faith and about creation and about Jesus. What is pure in the sight of God? He would love it if we would care for widows in their distress. If we would seek out orphans in their need if we would care for and love a world that is hurting, maybe pure religion isn't talking so much. It's talking less and listening to the hurt that is all around us. The church and so many members of our own church have taken this to heart in the forms of adoption and foster care. Literally meeting orphans where they are and caring for them. This church knows about the hunger in third world countries where children will die of starvation this week. We know about families in Africa that struggle to find fresh water on a daily basis. We know that one of the biggest problems in our own country is children that are taken and trafficked. And as a church, we respond to those issues and we fight to respond to those issues. But if I can take you back to Sunday school for just a second and go back and remember the story of Jonah, which was one of my favorite stories growing up and still is one of my favorite stories. And one that adults don't really discuss too much, to be honest. We know that there's a lot in the church that we need to address all around us, not just around the world. We need to address things within us in our hearts. If I asked adults what the point of Jonah was, I would hear something about a great fish or stay away from giant fish. Someone would make a mistake and say a whale. But in reality, the book of Jonah is about one man who was ruined spiritually and morally because of his own refusal to do ministry next door. There's plenty going on in the world right outside, but sometimes our hearts just are not in it. Which brings us to the second part of verse 27. Refuse to let the world corrupt you. We need to put our faith into action and we need to have a concern for personal holiness. Every day on my wife's drive to work, it's like a two minute drive, not long at all, but she has to say a prayer and she has to pray for God to be there with her that day and to intervene and to help her to show him to other people. 
Invite him into your day, into your life, and into your attitude, and then put that into action. That is undefiled religion before God. Being doers of what we read and not just hearers. God is telling us through the book of James, don't argue, don't bicker, don't let yourselves be dragged into the fights that undoubtedly will go on around you for the rest of your lives. Do less of this. Do a little more listening. Hear the word. Hear those around you. Hear their hurt. But hearing the word, let that take root in your heart and be consumed by it and then do it. Put it into action. As we close out this morning, um, I think one of the most important ways that we can put it into action or to be doers of the word is to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And we could do that now through communion. If you forgot this cup and there are people walking around with them that can give them to you, all you need to do is raise your hand. I forgot one at nine o'clock. That was really embarrassing. Um, but you guys don't need to be embarrassed. Just go ahead and raise your hand and they'll walk around and they'll help you out. The bread, the top layer of this is a reminder of his body, which was broken for you and me. Do this in remembrance of him. The second element, the juice, was his blood poured out for you and me. Do this in remembrance of him. thank you for this time that you've given us this morning to come together and always to learn more about you and about your word. God, I pray that as we move through this week, you help us all to not only hear this, but to look for ways that we can put this into action in our lives, Lord. Help us to be doers of the word and not just hearers. Help us to find those opportunities every day, Lord. We're so thankful that we have the opportunity to know you when so many others do not. Help us to be your light in this dark world, Lord. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.